0: The Guardian. Welcome to Science Weekly. In today's episode on COVID-19, we're asking why the virus might be causing people to lose their sense of smell, a condition known as anosmia. When information on the first cases came out of China earlier this year, the symptom list for the coronavirus was short and clear. A high fever and a new continuous cough. But as the pandemic continued, a new prominent symptom emerged. Patients were increasingly presenting with a loss of smell. So how does a virus have this effect on us?
1: One of the mechanisms we think that coronavirus may be causing um, its havoc on our senses is that it may be actually invading the brain potentially. I'm Ian Sample. And this
0: is Science Weekly. Yep, all good here? Carl, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you, yes. You're an ENT surgeon and rhinologist, right?
1: Yes, that's right. Are you still managing
0: to see patients?
1: Uh, Managing to talk to patients, uh, see them occasionally via video consultations.
0: So you must have your Zoom skills down pat now by now.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) It's amazing what a crisis can do to suddenly kind of uh, um, (laughs) rocket IT skills forward. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, I think um, I was amazed how many new computers suddenly appeared in the department uh, (laughs) for the onset of coronavirus. (laughs)
0: Carl, let's get your name, uh, title and affiliation and then we'll jump into the questions.
1: Okay, Uh, so I'm a Professor Carl Philpott and I'm Professor of Rhinology and Olfactology at the University of East Anglia and I'm also um, an Honorary Consultant, ENT Surgeon and Rhinologist in the Norfolk & Waveney ENT Service.
0: Carl, there's an ongoing debate around how much the loss of sense of smell can be attributed to COVID-19 how sure are we that the virus is to blame for this anosmia as it's called
1: well i think the uh, the starting point is the good news that the world health organization have added it to their official symptom list and this is following another number of other countries uh, doing so which the first of which was actually the usa the data that's coming in from around the world is showing that if you look at patients who've actually been tested then the uh, rate of smell and or taste loss is about of the infected patients. And some of the data I'm seeing is actually more common than some of the uh, symptoms they've been talking about, such as cough and fever.
0: You mentioned the loss of taste uh, too. These senses often seem to be entwined, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the key things about when we talk to patients about taste is that often what they're referring to is what we call in the... Uh, medical arena retronasal olfaction and that's basically what happens when you're eating food and the smell of the food travels through the back of your mouth into the back of your nose and you sort of breathe out the odor of uh, what you're eating over the smell receptors and because you do that simultaneously with what we consider medically to be true taste which is what you experience mostly on the tongue people find it very difficult to separate those two and when you take smell away because that's a large component of flavor perception, people automatically think they can't taste. Now, the last clinic I did, I had about 10 new referrals for smell and taste disorders. And they pretty much all said, I can't smell and taste. And actually when you said, well, if I put a sugar in your cup of tea or um, you eat some salty crisps, would you notice that difference? And they said, well, yes, I can tell it's sweet. I can tell it's salty. That said, One of the mechanisms we think that coronavirus may be causing its havoc on our senses is that it may be actually invading the brain potentially. And if it's doing so, it may actually be affecting central structures and therefore it is possible that it is affecting both smell and taste. Now, the the global chemosensory research consortium, which I'm part of, been busy collecting data and so far there's about 26,000 responses internationally and the information we're getting back does seem to suggest that taste as much as smell, if you try and unpick it, it is being affected.
0: And um, That consortium that you've mentioned, I think there are hundreds of researchers in that, what are you actually hoping to discover ultimately?
1: I guess really the the first thing was to sort of to demonstrate that it is a um, smell and taste loss are part of coronavirus infection. I think that's probably uh, largely accepted now that the uh, World Health Organization have uh, accepted that. But I guess the, the the kind of more specific details around um, the severity of the loss, and the transient nature of the loss. So what we're seeing from the data so far is about eighty five to ninety percent of people who lose these senses. Appear to get it back within a two-week time frame. The other feature that we're seeing is that this 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 sudden nature of it. I mean, my anaesthetic colleague, for instance, sort of described it very aptly. He said he got up one morning, he had his cup of coffee, his coffee smelled fine. Literally a couple of hours later, nothing, it just gone, and that's very different to the typical pattern that we see from the usual viral um smell loss that we that I see lots of year in year out. And I guess that alludes to perhaps the different mechanism that we're seeing with how the virus is actually causing its um, problems in the nose and, and potentially in the brain. We'll come on to some
0: of that. I mean, I'm keen to get you to expand a bit on how a seems to be presenting in patients. I mean, is it something that when you see it, it is a very early symptom? And is there anything uh, to say around whether a particular groups seem to experience this more than others or whether it's linked to uh, COVID severity, for example?
1: So yeah, good questions. I guess timing is a key thing. So certainly about 20% in the data so far are getting smell loss before any other symptoms. Probably a sort of larger proportion are getting it alongside the other symptoms. And about 20% appear to be getting it without any other symptoms at all, and that's why we've been really kind of trying to sort of, you know, to highlight this issue. We've seen this in healthcare workers and that's sort of data I'm I'm sort of working on at the moment. Because obviously if healthcare workers are experiencing smell loss and they get no other symptoms and they're being told, well, you, you know, carry on come back to work, obviously they're potentially infecting colleagues and patients that haven't so far been uh, affected by the coronavirus. It appears to be affecting a younger demographic. the The typical age of viral related smell loss is usually between the ages of 40 and 70. And we're seeing it generally sort of more in the 30s to 40s groups are sort of shifting down a decade or so. Um, You know, something as high as 80, 90% of those affected by small loss are uh, are women. It does also appear to be linked to a milder sort of um, form of infection. Now, I guess the bias with that is that potentially those patients who are more severely affected, who are getting into respiratory distress quickly end up in hospital and potentially on ventilators, probably getting the information out of them that they've had smell loss is probably hard to discern and probably the least of the things they're thinking about when they can barely breathe.
0: I wondered if we could go into some more depth around how this virus might be disrupting our sense of smell and taste. What are the sort of mechanisms out there that you think are likely or probable?
1: Two key mechanisms are being reported at the moment. Firstly, is that the virus is invading what we call the supporting cells in the layer at the top of your nose where the smell receptors live. And it's invading those cells because they have a sort of type of receptor, which is known as the ACE2 receptor, which allows the virus to get in. And by infecting those cells, it's essentially probably squeezing the olfactory receptor neurons themselves, which are the kind of sensory cells, and preventing them from functioning properly. Um, Now, that said, as I mentioned earlier, there's also this kind of evidence around the neuroinvasive property of coronavirus. And that comes also from the previous SARS pandemic and um, some uh, mice experimental models that suggest that the coronavirus may be getting into central structures in the in the brain. And is being sort of put forward as an explanation for why some patients who are ended up on ventilators have poor outcomes, because it's not just about their lungs not coping, but it's actually the virus is causing the, the breathing centre of the brain to sort of shut down. Now, if if that's the case, then um, it could also be doing the same to the the areas of the brain that perceive smell and taste. And that may explain why people are experiencing actual true taste loss as well as they are experiencing smell loss.
0: And how would the virus get into those brain regions and why would it affect particular parts of the brain?
1: We've long known that the olfactory nerves are a potential portal in for um, damaging things from the environment around us. The olfactory nerves, if you think about them, are sort of dangling out into the nose and are probably the only unprotected part of our central nervous system compared to any of the other nerves in our body so they act as a sort of barometer for pollutants and other um, infective agents that are in the world around us
0: one of our listeners charlie from london got in touch with us after two of his flatmates lost their sense of smell and taste and he wondered why those symptoms hadn't been included in the current uk guidance around covid-19 and whether with so much anecdotal evidence out there, perhaps even more than anecdotal evidence now, whether we should be self-isolating if we get those those symptoms anyway?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would definitely agree that uh, patients with uh, sudden onset smell loss should be encouraged to self-isolate. And in fact, a group of us from the UK branch of the uh, Global Chemosensory Research Consortium have submitted a letter to um, the British Medical Journal to suggest that that really should be taken as a serious consideration now by um, public health england so I, I guess it'll remain to see what the government decides to do on that in the, in the coming days but i said in the meantime we would certainly encourage self-isolation for, for that symptom even if it, there are no other symptoms at all because as i say other symptoms may develop afterwards or, or it may be there in isolation
0: carl thank you so much for coming on the podcast and explaining all of this really uh fascinating good to hear from you
1: thank you very much and thank you for having me on
0: Thanks again to Carl. As always, do keep sending us your questions on the science behind the outbreak by filling in the form found at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions or one word. The Guardian's open journalism connects us. It brings us together when we need it the most. It arms us with the facts, it searches for answers and it helps us imagine a better tomorrow. But today, our advertising revenue and newspaper sales are falling faster than ever before, which means we need your support more than ever. Your support will sustain us and make sure that our open journalism stays open during this crisis. Support The Guardian today. Visit gu.com forward slash support podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay inside where you can. And see you back here soon.